With a quorum present, I'm pleased to bring our annual meeting into session. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the generations of mission and ministry at Holy Communion. May we heed your call in our own time. Help us to live our core values. May we be a people of welcome, inviting and including newcomers to our church. Unite us and teach us to celebrate the rich diversity of the human family. Lead us beyond our walls to better serve the wider community. We offer this prayer in the name of your Son, who shared your vision and mission for the world. Amen. Amen. You will find some copies of the annual meeting booklet on your tables. You can also find all of the reports I will reference, and they will be easier to navigate if you have a smart device, a phone, an iPhone or something like that, at holycommunion.net, on the homepage, click on the annual meeting link, and you'll have links to all of the reports so that it'll just be easier to navigate that way. Um, we begin with opening prayer and the acceptance of the agenda, which you can see on the screen before you. I need a motion to accept our agenda. David Lucas has moved. Rudy Nickens has seconded. Did you get those? Uh, all in favor? Any opposed or abstaining? The agenda passes unanimously. In the booklets and online, you will find the minutes of our 2019 annual meeting. I need a motion to accept or a motion to amend those. Bird is moving to accept. And Megan Onder, so Bert Mayfield has moved to accept. Megan Onder to, um, has seconded all in favor of accepting the minutes of the 2019 annual meeting. Say aye. aye. Any opposed? Any abstaining? It passes unanimously without abstention. Now for our 2020 uh, vestry and delegate nominees. Um, your nominations committee worked hard to produce this slate. The best version of it, I'm going to show you on the, just the website because that's the best place to look, uh, is up on the website. Oh, that's the best version of anything. That's Oscar. Um, so for vestry, we have two folks running for a second term, Brian Barnhart, your current treasurer, who you will be hearing from more later, um, and Pat Reddington, uh, current member of the vestry, each are running for their second of two eligible terms. After two terms, you have to rotate off. And then Sharifa Bethune is running for a first term on the vestry, replacing Elisa Williams, who is um, sunsetting her time on the vestry uh, and as secretary. And then nominated to represent us at the diocesan convention, um, actually in place of uh, her spouse, uh, Courtney Dula Pearson uh, is running for a three-year term as a delegate to diocesan convention. And God bless her, it was a lot easier to get people to run last year when it had the prospect of voting for the next bishop. But Courtney said yes, even though we hope she is not voting for a bishop. I opened nominations from the floor at the beginning, or at the announcements at 8 o'clock. They've been open for the amount of time required from the bylaws. Do I have a motion to accept this as our, no, our, our slate of nominees? Sandra, has moved, Sandra Ellis has moved that we accept our slate of nominees. Do I have a second? Uh, Scott Ferguson, I'll give it to Scott Ferguson for the second. Um, and so... 
with this, um, I need to, uh, a motion, or I need all in favor of accepting the nominees from the nominations committee to say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Any abstaining? Passes unanimously. And traditionally, since we have closed now the nominations, uh, we just elect the, com uh, the group that has been nominated by acclamation. So will you join me in acclamation? That means clap your hands and give thanks for the people who will serve. Taking us back, let me see if I can get this back up on the screen so I can control it. There we go. So um, next we have a proposed bylaws change. Uh, the bylaws of Holy Communion are governed by our members. When the vestry wants to change our bylaws, we have to vote on it as a body. We have a very small proposed change to the bylaws. Um, the proposed change, the only language that changes is the limit that the junior warden and the rector have. The senior warden doesn't have the ability to approve contracts. Um, but we are asking that we um, expand the amount of money by $500 that the junior warden and the rector have uh, to, in the vestry's name, agree to contracts before the vestry has to vote on that. Susan, will you say a word about why we're doing this? So to help things move quicker, um, a lot of times we need to make decisions when something needs to be repaired without calling the vestry together. So that's really the driver. If something breaks like an air conditioning in the middle of summer, we need to get it fixed before we can sometimes get everybody together. Yep. Ted? Yeah, that, that, that explains why. And, and really we're just keeping up with the cost of doing business on this one. Um, the other thing that this does nicely, you'll see in the rationale on the proposed bylaw change report, is that we currently have a limit of $1,500 for any check that we produce as a church has to be signed by two signers if it is $1,500 or more. So by having just one dollar limit, it helps us remember which one is which because there's just one. So it brings some unity. Do we have any questions? Lisa. And, and I'm going to have microphones ready if folks do have questions. I'm sorry, we are um, for. How long has it been at 1,000? Yeah. So the question how long has it been at 1,000? It's been at 1,000 for five years now. Any other questions? Do I have a motion to accept the proposed bylaws revision? Warren, has, Warren Davis has made the motion. Gretchen Wilkes has seconded. All in favor? Any opposed? Any abstaining? It passes unanimously. Thank you. That brings us to the end of our regular business. Uh, I'm going to ask for now the treasurer to come up and present his 2020 treasurer's report. And the, before we get into 2020, I want to give a little context for where we've come from, especially for those of you who haven't had to listen to me in the past. So. Uh, going back a number of years, back to at least 2015 and 2016, we've seen a lot of growth in our member giving and membership, uh, almost 20% uh, member giving year-over-year -year changes for a number of years in a row. So about 365 days ago, when we were planning for 2019 that just wrapped up, we were um, thinking, well, if we're going to continue this growth, we're going to need to start making investments to grow the team. 
And so uh, as part of 2019, we started to expand the, the clergy and staff team at Holy Communion so that we could continue to offer more for the Holy Communion community. Um, so advancing. The 2019 that just concluded, we did um, see a continued rise in giving, but much, much slower rate than we've seen in prior years. Only about a 3% increase um, compared to the previous values. So we've, uh, we've started to see a little bit of a decline in 2019 in giving, and we've also started to improve or increase our expenses as we've taken on um, more headcount on our team. So. Um, that sets us up to 2020. 2020 is going to be a different year than we've seen in a while. We've actually seen a decline in member giving, member pledges anyway. And that's setting us up to be in a different position by the end of the year. So not only are we seeing our, uh, our pledges decrease and our revenue decrease year over year, but we're also seeing higher expenses, which was planned. We planned on growing our team for at least two or three years uh, to offer more things like the grace gatherings and other outreach and, uh, opportunities. But it's kind of unfortunate timing. We're seeing a dip in, re in revenue while our expenses are climbing. Uh, just a little bit more granularity, uh, comparing uh, 2019 to 2020, our, um, our member giving is increasing, or is decreasing, but we do have a little bit of relief from some of our endowments. It's, the stock market's been great, so some of our endowments are actually going to fill in some of that gap. Next one. Uh, the biggest changes, though, are on the expense side. Because we're taking on more people, our, uh, our salaries, and other salaries and other benefits are going up by quite a bit. So for the first time ever, we're gonna, for the first time in a number of years, we're planning a deficit of about $53,000. Two years ago, we had a surplus of $20,000. So you can see the, the changing dynamics that we have here. A deficit that large isn't great. We're not, we're, the sky's not falling. We're not in trouble. This is a planned investment that we're making. And as we think about our investments, yes, yes, yes. As we think about our investments over the last couple of years, if you could go ahead one more, we've been pretty good at making good investments that have had good returns. Maybe we can go ahead. And um, as you may recall, two years ago in 2017, or three years ago now, we invested pretty heavily in the house right down the hill from us, the Gannon House, where we put uh, $50,000 in and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. That has returned a lot of benefits, both to Holy Communion and to our community, where they're actually, we're now getting rents for that about $11,000 or $12,000 a year. Uh, we're also housing a homeless family over there. So we're... Sorry, we're... <laughs> so our investment on that front has done very well. Last year, we invested even more in the uh, last year, year and a half, in um, the infrastructure and the people to help improve the services and offerings we have for children and, and uh, our youth. As you can tell, we've got kids all over the place now. <laughs> We're doing really well on our investment strategies at the moment. I've heard that at the, uh, the little circle of uh, carpet at the 1030 service, you have to call ahead and get a reservation at this point. So 2020 is going to be uh, a rough year financially in that we, ha we have a planned deficit. Um, we think we're, we're making a good investment. The Grace Gathering is going to open up Holy Communion to um, groups of society that we, we've not served before, and maybe no church has served well before. So there's a lot of opportunity, but it's going to be an interesting year. Um, finally, the, um, the uh, capital campaign is the last piece that I wanted to touch on before we conclude here. 
Um, the capital campaign was an overwhelming success in all regards. Construction is all done. We're still waiting on some organ components and things, but we had $928,000 pledged. Of that, we've already received almost $600,000. People usually spread their gifts out over a couple of years, so we've got two more years to continue getting it in. But we're in really good financial state from our capital campaign, probably better than we've had in the last several campaigns from what uh, others have told me. Um, Again, we're still wrapping up a, a few expenses, so in 2020 we're going to have um, that, that total expenses area line is going to rise as final uh, bills are due and things like that, but we're doing really well financially from a capital campaign perspective. Thank you to all of your generosity and support. F finally, the, um, because the budget has a, an 8% deficit, $53,000, it is a little bit of an uncomfortable position. If any of you haven't completed your 2020 pledge cards, please do so. We'd certainly love to have a little bit more visibility to any extra changes, positive and negative, that might be happening in 2020. Are there any, any questions for me? Bob, please. Uh, go to the previous slide, please. Yep. <laughs> the one with the numbers. <laughs> what is reimbursements under income? Oh, sorry, that's... Um, Construction loan reimbursement. The, the diocese has a very strange, um, correct me as, as you interpret it's this. It's not strange with lending for this kind of project. Okay. It's, it's not the way it works for your We don't, for the, the diocese, when we ask for our loan, they don't give us a big single check. They say, show us the contractor's invoices, show us proof of completion, then we will reimburse the check for those, or reimburse the church for those expenses. So you, if you think of it as white loan, white loan contributions, that would be the equivalent. It's just a, a slightly strange cash okay, flow. But, yeah. but the campaign is not 1.2 million. No, that's no. Much money has come into the church, including all of that 335,000 Exactly. So, so there's, three, there's money coming in from all of our contributions. We're also taking out a loan so we can write the check today for the contract, contractor expenses due today. At some point, we're going to use the contributions from all of us to pay back the loan to the diocese. Okay. And then a more general question. Sure. Okay, um, I'll bring you to daddy. I'll bring you to daddy. Why, in your opinion, generally speaking, are pledges down? Mike, yeah, please. Yep. So there's a trick on this one, which is that some of us have more visibility than others on these questions. So why generally are pledges down? There's several answers. The number one answer
that caused people to either lower their pledge or to be pledging in another state. And it was just, if we, um, I talked to Erin Robert Johnson, who's our campaign um, consultant for the Capital Campaign, who's a fundraising expert, and she said two things to me. One, churches tend to go through cycles like this every four to eight years or so, and it sounds like to her that we were double-stacked, that we were running two cycles at once. So every eight years or so, we should plan to see a dip in our pledges based on life circumstance changes. The other thing she said, and I don't know, I've talked to some folks about this, but the changes in the tax law that went into effect two years ago, folks have the first experience of this year. And some nonprofit organizations all across the country are experiencing dips in revenue because it's not as tax advantageous as it used to be. Uh, the other thing that the Stewardship and Finance Committee need to start talking about is there are a number of organizations that are strategizing around that and encouraging especially high dollar donors to think about doing one contribution in December or January to cover two years because it's more tax advantageous. If that's something you're interested in, we'd love to talk to you about it and plan with you and help you split so that we're not you know, going from big year to small year based on contributions so that we can budget that way. But those are two pieces of what we think is going on. The other thing that, you, that some folks have noticed, whenever you hit a deficit year, folks tend to look in at the numbers a little bit more than they look at others. Um, people notice that we're down about 20 pledges from historic pledgers. That's actually pretty consistently true across the last four years. <coughs> Uh, that at this point in the year, we're still waiting to hear from some pledgers. And some of the folks that count as new pledgers, about five or six people that count as new pledgers, have historically pledged more than two years ago. There's always work to be done to remind people that, that we're grateful for their contributions, but it's very helpful if they could pledge to let us know what those contributions would be. And I think we're a little bit behind our usual curve on that in terms of I do think we do have some additional pledges for 2020 that will come in. So that all stacks up to where we are. We planned for a deficit. We didn't plan for a deficit quite this large, but we're okay. For now. Can somebody get Randall on the And Mike, this is probably a question more for you. It's a question about numbers, but not about dollars. If we go back to that uh, 2015 to 2020, uh, slide of uh, basically our growth is plateaued is how I see that and my question is is one of just in general on philosophy of church growth is there uh, a point where the church is full in other words I've heard that number about 80% if you know if the seats are about 80% full that's where a church stops growing and my question is either now or a different point in the meeting would you like to address that question about what's our potential for growth? So that's, that gets us into a, and I'll maybe hold some of this question for my report. Um, in right now we're talking about dollars, and that question does affect dollars in terms of the number of people in the church tends to affect number of pledges. Uh, I do want to mention two ways in which that overlaps. So yes, there is some... Um, social science out there around growth, and that once your seating is about 80% full, I would venture 
that we're actually doing really well on growth. We continue to beat my expectations. We had an increase in, annu in average Sunday attendance this year, even though I know that there were folks that were attending a little bit less frequently while we were worshiping in Mitchell Hall because it was such a cramped location. We still had an increase in average Sunday attendance, a lot driven by new folks. The other limiting factor that we have, which has been talked about at umpteen annual meetings, and if you have the capacity to solve this, I'd love to talk to you, but parking is a bigger limiting factor, I think, for us than seating. So in our current service configuration, are we close to maxing out? Maybe. We still have a number of Sundays that we have 160 people at the um, 1030 service, and so I know that's possible. And our Christmas and Easter continue to go up. So I'm not as worried about that, but we are planning um, part of the starting another service at another time is that we could have more seating. But I wanted to bring that up because the other thing that we've been learning as we've been talking about planting another service is that planting another service is not a short-term deficit-filling prospect. Folks that start worshiping in a congregation who are new, it tends to take a while for them to pledge. It takes a while for them to give, it takes a while for them to pledge, and it takes a while for those pledges to get to the point where they're making a significant impact in income for the budget. That's true both of our newcomers at our current services, and it will be especially true if we're really viewing what Lori's work at Grace Gathering is and the um, Grace Gathering community's work on planting a service will be as a church plant. The folks who do church planting say don't count on, on significant revenue from a church plant for three to five years. So we're looking at ways to close this deficit. Some of it we hope will be increased member giving, and some of it may need to be some grants that get us through three to five years. But it will take some time to do that gap closing. Other questions? Especially fine points for Brian? Rudy. And, and somebody, can somebody bring Rudy a microphone? Not in my last previous churches, but previous churches before that, when they ran into a financial crunch at, like, in September, October, November, they put a little bit more increase on, folks, if you can step up on the plate and just give a little bit more for the next few months, that really helps the budget out to get us through the fiscal year. I don't know if Holy Communion's ever done that or not, but that was one way that one of the churches I belong to made, made it to from October to December. So your treasure's open to that, and I would ask the stewardship committee to talk through those strategies. The one worry I have about, A, well, I don't want to decide a strategy in this room, because I'd like to do it with a group of folks who are looking at research and talking about it, um, with folks who know a great deal about giving. My worry about that kind of if you start building in a programmed fundraiser at one point in the year, um, then folks tend to divide their giving between annual pledging and what they know they're going to put in at that, uh, at that fundraiser. And that's something that we've heard a number of times from giving experts. And so I'd want to work with Aaron Weber Johnson or another person to help us strategize that. One thing that I would be especially open to is a sort of uh, early or late summer um, probably early summer mini stewardship campaign because we add so many people through the year at Holy Communion. We're, we're cycling people 
a lot more. And that's one of the things about church these days is people are in an area for three to five years and then jobs and life moves them elsewhere. It's part of what we're feeling. So adding another time of year, not nearly at the level we do in fall for the next year, but where we give people an opportunity to pledge if they haven't or change their pledge if life circumstances have changed, it could help us to be in good stead. But again, I'd, I'd want to do that strategy with somebody and with a whole committee making those decisions together. Can somebody bring David Lucas a microphone? Ah, Lori's got one too. I'm on it. Yours on. Check and see if it's on. It is. There we go. Uh, rental income, and that's obviously been increasing incrementally. And what is your forward-looking view on rental income? I would love to see it continue. We've come a long way. I, I look back. Uh, I think in 2015, it was like $2,000. We're up to almost $40,000 now. The biggest problem I have to continue it growing is we're kind of out of space at the time be for the time being. We've been, we've been renting out offices and Sunday school rooms and things like that, which works really well. If we're going to rent out to other, other uh, groups, something's going to have to change. One option we've been thinking about is could we rent out the kitchen that we only use for an hour or two every week? That's an option. We don't have anybody we're talking with yet, but that's one of the goals for the year. There may be other groups that can use other parts of our building that might be an option, but we haven't, had, we haven't identified those. Could someone use this space here as a Tuesday morning yoga or something like that? I'd love to see that expand, but at the moment we don't have good eyesight to what that might look like. If you have suggestions or contacts you'd recommend, I would love them. Other questions? Can, can you use the microphone? The one expense showed uh, Vandersall. What is that? Vandersall is the consulting company that Aaron Weber Johnson, who was our capital campaign consultant, worked for. So that's the money you spend to raise the money. That's to produce all the brochures for all of the consulting work to help us do the money raising. Hearing no more questions, I'm going to ask our junior warden to take us off into her report. Okay. Um, so Brian has the hard part. He gets to talk about the money. I have the fun part. I get to talk about how we spent the money. So the organ was there, the church. This year, we have had the most successful capital campaign ever at Holy Communion in two different ways. One the amount of money we raised, and the number of, the percent of members who participated. So first, thank you to everyone for that. So really, we called it the next 150 campaign because we needed to upgrade a lot of things in this building these buildings. So we focused on the church wing, which is over there. We upgraded the HVAC system. We got the new boiler. Um, we did the new windows to make it a lot more energy efficient. We added the ADA compliant bathrooms. We upgraded the electrical system. If you ever had to turn the lights on or off in that wing, you know what I'm talking about. Um, we upgraded the lighting. 
We upgraded the sound system both in the church and in here. So it's making our adult form, it's making this meeting better because of that sound system. Um, the flooring, we now have the labyrinth in the church. We've got the flexible seating so we can use this church for other things. And as we're talking about the Grace Community Service, that'll be one of the things that can use it. Um, the kitchen, you heard from Brian, thinking about renting that space, where we made some major upgrades to the kitchen um, and the organ. There was a picture flashing up there of the organ. That's still to come. But almost everything is done for the capital campaign. So thank you to everyone. And also thank you to all the people who worked on that project, all of our architects, consultants, tradespeople, everyone. And I also want to thank everyone who works in this building on a daily basis. Um, we only usually see it on Sunday, and they had to do a lot of work behind the scenes to make it clean and safe for us on Sunday, as well as deal with, you know, chairs that arrived on a Friday afternoon on a big pallet, and they dropped them at the door and said, here you go, and it was going to rain. Um, so there were a lot of unexpected time put into it. So I really want to say thank you to everybody for that. Um, I think it's been an amazing renovation. I think the other thing, as Brian brought up, Gannon House, we also need to look back at things we've done over the past few years and how we've invested and how they're paying off. So we invested in Gannon House. That has allowed us to not only have income coming in, but also to support the outside community as part of our mission. We're providing home, homes to homeless veteran families there today. The other thing I would bring up is the nursery. We moved the nursery upstairs. We brought that up based on feedback from parents. The growth in the number of children around here is quite evident. So I think that's been a wise investment. Um, the flooring in this room, it's so much cleaner. Um, so I think these are the type of investments that we continue to make, and I think it's important to look back and make sure we put the money in the right spots. So again, thank you to everyone, and I also think it's really important to thank Mike, who uh, basically worked day in, day out, not only as our rector, but as the day in, day out construction manager on this project. So... Thank you, Mike. So I, I get to do one fun thing, which is, so this, um, the organ, what you're seeing is a drawing. Um, this will be the last bit of the organ installed. So I talked to our organ um, consultant, the person who's rebuilding our organ, Bob Dial, just this last week. He assures me that the organ is well on its way, that it should be here in the next couple of months. The last piece that will be installed for obvious reasons, because you got to get the organ in before you put this um, face on it, but this is the pipe screen that you'll be able to see from the congregation, where there's currently a big gap in the wall behind the choir at 1030. You'll see organ pipes for the first time we've ever had them in this building. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. But honestly, I'm looking a little bit more forward to what I'm about to show you. We couldn't decide which of the wardens got to show you these, so I get to. 
Um, but, uh, but they also bridge the two reports. So Susan, as the junior warden, has a lot of um, has her, her purview is as the director of the building committee, and she works with me on building stuff. Shirley, as the senior warden, works especially in mission and vision questions. And over the last year, you'll hear a lot about the work on beloved community, our work toward um, embracing our value of diversity. There was a place in the capital campaign where those two things especially came together. And you all are going to get the first glimpse now. Uh, the windows that will eventually go in the chapel are being designed by the artist Kababi Bayak, a black artist in St. Louis. It's the first time he's ever done stained glass. And these are going to be landmark windows for Kababi. They'll be produced by Emil Fry Studios, a longtime famous stained glass studio in St. Louis. The hope of these windows was to include images of people of color in the telling of the biblical narrative. So I'd like to show you the first sketches of our windows. The overall theme is the road of salvation, and the windows will tell stories from scripture across the road of salvation. And so first, you'll have Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat standing on the road. Um, and that Technicolor Dreamcoat, for um, reasons of um, scholarship around Joseph's gender identity and maybe sexual orientation, is going to be a big rainbow. Um, and the stained glass window are, um, folks tell us that rainbows are so fantastic to do in stained glass. They do wonderful things to space. So that's the first beginning of the road, the stand-in for the matriarchs and patriarchs. The next window is the exodus. And so you, see, you can see the road. It's a little cut off in this picture. But in the front of the road are the um, midwives, the Hebrew midwives who save the children, um, leading the people through the parted Red Seas on the road of salvation. At the back is Miriam with her tambourine raised in the air, celebrating the work of God's salvation. The third window, Ruth and Naomi walking together on the road. Uh, this story came up not too long ago in scripture, but this is the story of Ruth, the ultimate outsider, the woman, the Moabitess. Both women have been widowed by a, um, a terrible plague. And um, Ruth says to Naomi a phrase in scripture that surprises everyone. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And so these two women, um, the love and salvation that unites them, um, they make their way down the road. The final window, we get Jesus. And I'm going to tell you a little bit before I show you. So the final window is a vision after the resurrection, um, the road of salvation. And um, you'll notice that in all of our windows right now, um, Lori Anzalotti pointed this out to me not long after she got here. Anytime a woman appears, um, actually anytime Jesus appears, everybody's looking at Jesus. Uh, and especially anytime a woman appears in the windows, it, other than Mary, she's basically on her knees. Uh, yeah, it's not great representation currently. So this window has a very different picture. This is Mary Magdalene after seeing the risen Jesus walking away with her fist in the air because the road of salvation continues. So mission and vision and building coming together. And with that, I'd like to introduce your senior warden, Shirley Mensah. I'm assuming the applause is for those awesome window sketches. <laughs> no, 
that was, I didn't see the last, I hadn't seen the last three ones. I saw the first two sketches. Um, so exciting. I'm so excited. Good morning, everyone. Um, all right, so before we start talking about mission and vision, let me back up, take a deep breath. Those sketches were very exciting. Um, and you all should be applauding yourselves because uh, that's how we got here is because of you and your generosity. Um, but first, let me back up and thank uh, Brian. Brian is, is engaged otherwise with Penelope and Susan um, for their reports that were excellent and all their hard work. Um, you know, they, Brian, uh, Susan, and I frequently meet with Mike outside of vestry meetings to talk about different issues that come up, and those issues usually end up on the agenda at a vestry meeting. Um, and so they are just fantastic people to work with, hardworking, dedicated, committed, both extremely busy with uh, busy, lots of demands on their time with work and family and other community involvement. So I just really want to recognize them and thank them for their leadership and their commitment to this church on behalf of all of us. I'd also like to take a moment to recognize and thank our outgoing um, vestry members, uh, Tani Jackson-Whitlock and Elisa Williams. Uh, thank you. I don't think Tani's here, but really want to recognize their service and leadership uh, on the vestry. It's been so wonderful working with you. I also want to thank and recognize all of our current vestry members, including those who have agreed to continue uh, serving. Um, and I'm going to ask you all to, to stand up as I call your name. You know, we always say, ask a vestry member, but that kind of assumes that everybody knows who we are. And there are some people who may not. So uh, starting with uh, Rudy Nickens. And it's, you've already met Susan, and you've heard from Brian. We've got Rudy Nickens, <laughs> Megan Ander Cooper, Warren Davis. And we're missing uh, Pat Reddington, uh, who is off celebrating her 40th wedding anniversary. I can't blame the woman. She deserves it. She's all very hardworking, and we really appreciate their service. Uh, we're all looking forward, Sharifa, to having you join us on the vestry as our new, new vestry member. I <laughs> That's Sharifa. She's the next person you can go to with questions. <laughs> um, I think that you'll find us a hardworking but fun-loving group. We love to laugh, and um, everyone on the vestry is really committed to, uh, to serving all of you. Um, and, you know, I've heard some describe being on the vestry, and this is for you, Sharifa, and others, uh, as, you know, seeing how the sausage gets made. And I can't say that's not true, but I think that's true of most boards, if you've ever served on a board. But I'm happy to report that while this may not be true in other places, you have nothing to fear from the sausage-making process here at Holy Communion. It's all pretty clean and on the up and up. You know, I, I like to think of a vestry service as really giving more of a bird's-eye view. Um, and you know, by that I mean you really have the opportunity to see the whole picture and to get a complete picture of who we are as a church. Um, you know, and I can tell you all the, the last, I'm trying to figure out how long I've been on the vestry, four or five years of being on the vestry and having that bird's eye view, having that vantage point, 
the view for me has been breathtaking. Um, there is so much going on in the life of this church. It is an exciting time here, and so not coincidentally, it's been an exciting time to serve on the vestry. You know, like so many of you in this room, um, one of the things that drew me to Holy Communion in the first place was this sense when I started coming here that the people and, um, and the clergy all seemed to me to embody the teachings of Christ in that people were very welcoming. The people here made it clear and articulated that we care about diversity. We care and um, express concern and support for those who have been marginalized in our society. Uh, we care about the community that we live in. We care about the environment. And all of those things came through loud and clear during the mission and vision process, which got underway very shortly after I joined the vestry some four uh, years ago. And so over my last four or so years on the vestry, what I've heard uh, through the mission and vision process and then more recently through the capital campaign process, what I've heard from you all, you know, is through your words and your, your actions is, yes, we welcome newcomers on Sunday mornings, and yes, we serve our community through uh, ministries like Trinity. We uh, serve our community by marching in solidarity with marginalized and people who have been oppressed, but we want to do more. And that desire to do more is what led us to the mission and vision process, which led to the creation of this mission statement that's on our website, it's, it's printed in our bulletin. Um, and you know that desire to do more, together with the realities of being in an older building that needed renovations, which Susan just talked about, also led us to a capital campaign that very thoughtfully and intentionally ensured that in undertaking needed renovations, we were being true to this mission and being true to the vision of who we are or who we say we are as a church. So a big part of what your vestry does is to help identify and implement short and long-term goals that mirror our vision, our mission that we say we have of, of walking in the way of Jesus and our mission of revealing Christ's reconciling love in our city, nation, and world and our vision of ourselves of being a welcoming, diverse community. So I think 2019 was a year in which we really began the transition from focusing more on goal setting and moving into taking those steps that are necessary to live into those goals and to live into this vision that we have for ourselves. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about that. I, I try to highlight the main things in my report, which is in the materials, but I'll try to highlight some of them here. So you heard Mike talk about this. It's really gratifying to hear and to see that our average Sunday at attendance did continue to increase in 2019, even when we were exiled from the sanctuary during the renovations. Uh, this metric is a clear indicator to me of our health and strength as a congregation. And it is due in no small part to the leadership that we have at this church and the focus on um, making sure that we 
fulfill the goals that we've all set for ourselves as a church. Um, our goal of transforming our physical space into one that is more reflective of our core values of welcome, diversity, and community came into fruition in 2019. Uh, we owe this entirely to all of you, to your generosity, your commitment, your support, whether in dollars or words or conduct, all of it is owed to this congregation. Um, as Susan said, this has been the most successful capital campaign in the history of the church. This is something we all should be very jazzed up about. I certainly am. Um, so as a result of all of this, we have made our worship space more flexible, both spiritually and physically. Uh, we've made it more welcoming. The kitchen is back, as you've heard, and because of the upgrades that we made, we are in a position to not only rent the, uh, the, the kitchen potentially, but use the kitchen as a tool to further serve the community outside of our walls. Uh, we've got the more accessible and inclusive bathrooms. We look forward to enjoying our refurbished organ, which will allow us to further enhance our music program, which is one of the focuses that we've had and one of the goals that we've set. Um, and you just saw those fabulous window sketches. Um, a word about that, by the way, there was a committee. This was, um, uh, Rudy was, was on the committee along with other members who met with the artist Kababi. And it was one evening during the week, this was a total brain dump. Oh, we think you could have this, or maybe this biblical story. And I thought, what in the world did he get out of this meeting? I don't know what we're going to get back from him. So when I saw these sketches, I, I was blown away. I mean, it really, really. We, we just break one brainstorming session, and this was the result. So I'm very excited to see uh, these windows come to fruition. Uh, so renovations clearly were a big focus uh, of the year in terms of reaching our, our goals and living into our mission and our vision. Uh, but there were other goals set by the vestry uh, around these, uh, these core values that we have. And one of those non-renovation goals was to welcome more people through social media and other online avenues. And in attempting to meet that goal, we increased our engagement on websites like Nextdoor. We engage more on social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and increase the availability of video uh, from services online. And if you've noticed a number of new faces in the pews and in the new chairs, uh, that is due in part to that expanded online presence. So we're counting on all of you uh, to demonstrate to those new faces that, you know, as people who aspire to walk in the way of Jesus, uh, we welcome all of them as they are, where they are. So we're counting on you to help us with that. Um, the vestry also set a goal of increasing printed communications to make sure we're not leaving behind those of us who don't live online. Yes, some of us still, some of us are still out there. Um, in setting this goal, the hope was that it could be accomplished in a way that was both sustainable and mindful of the environment. And we accomplished that in 2019 with the issuance of printed quarterly newsletters and a stewardship brochure, among other materials. Um, Around our, our goal and vision of community, in 2019, we accomplished goals set by the vestry aimed at further developing our internal and external community. And 
I would encourage you, if you really want to get a sense of all of the work that was done throughout the year, to take a look, just read, skim the reports that are contained in the brochure online or in paper, because it really gives you a sense of the impact that we've had on our community internally and externally. So one of the goals with respect to our internal communication was to develop and support smaller group communities within the broader church and standout events like Family Advent Night and Cookies and Carols, which were well attended by families with younger children, including mine, um, those are all great examples of how we lived into that goal uh, last year. Other outings and initiatives that took place throughout the year, uh, like the Parish Adventure Day at Pear Marquette, the Summer Softball League, uh, spearheaded by Reverend Mark Smith, um, outings hosted by the 20s and 30s small group. There was a Wednesday movie screening of the Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg movie, I believe, Bible study, and so many of these other activities really helped to deepen our sense of community as a church. Um, in terms of community ties outside of our walls in 2019, as you'll see in the uh, reports, we continue to do that through ministries like Trinity, which I think they serve something like over averaging 85 meals from just by Holy Communion volunteers alone. Uh, Barbara Jordan, Episcopal City Mission and Laundry Love, just through Laundry Love alone, thank you for getting me those statistics, Lisa. This is in uh, the report. Volunteers from Holy Communion served 169 families from 21 different zip codes in 2019. They made it possible for those families to complete over 800 loads of laundry. And uh, they used up something like 350 coloring pages for the children who were there, uh, volunteers keeping their company while their uh, families were doing laundry. They played countless games of Uno and served scads and vats of pizza. So the work of, of all of these ministries is chronicled in the materials, and I, I really encourage you to look at that um, to get a sense of what we've been doing and how we've been representing ourselves in our community. Uh, there was also new and different community engagement in 2019, thanks to uh, the Reverend Lori Anzalotti joining us. We're so happy to have uh, Lori as part of our church family. Um, <laughs> Uh, and Lori, just almost as soon as she uh, got ordained, <clears throat> helped to lead a Make, make a Difference Day, um, during which a number of parishioners partnered with others to perform yard work and other chores for seniors. And we just expect to see more of this sort of engagement going forward. We did continue deepening our relationship with Christosol last year. Uh, members from Christosol came here this year. Uh, Mike and a group, and there's a report in the materials about the trip of the Holy Communion folks who went to El Salvador in the summer. Um, and finally, we are continuing to make strides towards a, another goal of building interfaith relationships to advocate for justice in our community. Um, and this is in my report, but in 2019, we did pledge 
money to help fund the possible establishment of an interfaith community organization here in St. Louis. You will be hearing much more about that uh, this year. Now in late November, uh, we started advertising an upcoming screening, and I think this might have been mentioned in church earlier today, uh, of the documentary Rigged, the voter suppression playbook. Uh, we're going to be hosting that screening uh, in conjunction with Cole Rena Congregation. It'll be here at Holy Communion. And it's my hope, and it's the hope of the Beloved Community Committee, that this screening will serve as a, as a sort of jumping off point for even deeper external community involvement in 2020, and likely in conjunction with um, Cole Rena around uh, voter registration and voting issues. Um, and so that last uh, sort of uh, external community activity dovetails with diversity, uh, the other core values. So regarding, oops, yeah. So regarding our core value of diversity, remember this? This is the Holy Communion's beloved community commitment. We recited this commitment at the annual meeting about three years ago. So all of our goals around diversity are centered around these commitments. Uh, if you go to the next slide, Mike, we, we discussed um, these goals and we discussed our church's beloved community uh, commitment at some length at an adult forum this fall. So I'm not going to belabor the point, but I think it suffices to say that our goal is to ensure that everything from programs at the Sunday morning forums to the music program to the liturgy and community engagement both internally and externally all of those things reflect these beloved community commitments so that is the goal and that is the focus around our diversity goal so to that end throughout 2019 we continue to live into our commitment of being a beloved community and we did that uh, by a number, in a number of ways. Uh, we started off the year with our uh, usual uh, January uh, Martin Luther King service last year, like we did this year. Uh, we uh, had, we heard from dynamic speakers, and I think he's coming back, uh, Reverend Dr. Ben Sanders from uh, Eden Seminary, and uh, Starsky Wilson, who together with Rudy, Nickens um, helped us mark the anniversary of the death of Michael Brown and the start of the movement that started in Ferguson, right here in Missouri. Uh, we celebrated our diversity. This was one of my favorite things. I don't know that we made a huge deal of it. Um, when, when we dedicated the gorgeous new altar coverings, you know the green coverings with the strips that almost look like African kenti cloth. If you didn't, if you missed it, um, those vestments and the clergy vestments were made from pieces of fabric brought in by members of the congregation. Um, everything from Scottish tartans to Nigerian fabric got woven together, really just embodying the diversity of our congregation. Um, we, um, in November, about 25 members of this congregation <clears throat> went to the Galleria to watch Harriet, the movie about Harriet Tubman, and then more than half of the folks stayed later to talk about the movie uh, afterwards at the uh, California Pizza Kitchen. 
Um, and then finally, and sort of the centerpiece of all of this, is what has culminated in the work that uh, Lori has done with a group that she's organized uh, to explore and begin to plan uh, a service, grace gathering, um, to um, bring a worship experience for people of all abilities to our church. So I could go on, but I can't. <laughs> I could go on, but I won't be allowed to. <laughs> uh, so I'll just leave it there and, and really conclude by saying I hope that you will all join me in feeling great pride in looking back at all that we've accomplished together as a church last year and have excitement about what we've got coming up in the future. Last thing I'm going to say, and then I'll be quiet, I promise. Um, remember that your vestry is here to serve you, so if you've got Questions, comments, criticisms, please talk to one of us. Keep the feedback coming. Thank you. As you can tell, I'm incredibly grateful to work with such a talented group of leaders. Most of my report, thankfully, is in the sermon, so I'm not going to belabor this, but I do need to spend a little bit of time saying thanks and make one announcement that uh, does not fit in the sermon. So... Um, first, to say thanks um, to Brian, to Susan, to Shirley. I work with an incredibly talented uh, leadership team in the vestry. With all of the vestry members, I can't tell you, we have really relatively short meetings for a vestry, but the richness that is in that room, the wisdom that gets shared, uh, the daring sometimes that is in that room is fantastic. Uh, and so I'm incredibly grateful. I need to thank by name Scott Ferguson, Jean Parker, and Valerie Wilson, who were the um, co-chairs of the Next 150 campaign. We exceeded our goal by over $100,000. Will you help me thank them? <laughs> also, Donna Bowden-Distel, Fran Caradonna, Christian Davis, Amanda Deemer, Gary Johnson, uh, and Patty Thorpe, who were members of that committee. Um, I work with an incredibly talented staff. I think we have one of the most talented staffs in the country. Um, from Cheyenne Lavellet, our Director of Operations, uh, to Jerome Harris, who keeps this place clean and keeps people smiling on Sunday mornings. Uh, Mary Chapman, who has brought more and more diversity and a bigger and bigger choir and has done incredible work this year. Um, Jay joined our staff at the beginning of last year, and it is rare to have an organist without an organ. Uh, but he has done it incredibly well. So if you get a chance to thank them, because none of them are in the room at the moment, please do. Um, I also am blessed with incredible co clergy colleagues. Chester Hines, our deacon, Mark Smith, and you've heard Lori Anzalotti's name mentioned so many times this morning. Um, finally, it has become, oh, another group of folks that, whose names were not mentioned but need to be mentioned. We had the largest single representation of any parish on the Bishop Search Committee. Um, uh, Rudy Nickens, Chester Hines, and Elena Alboron spent so many Saturdays, so many days um, making that selection happen, and I think we are all excited about the result. So will you help me thank them for their... <laughs> Finally, uh, I need to let you know that this has been a great deal of work, and, and you'll read in my report, but a huge amount of my thanks, um, I echo from Ellis, uh, a huge amount of my thanks is because you helped us welcome Silas this year. Um, yeah. And 
as part of welcoming Silas, as we were getting ready for construction, I did not take very much paternity time. Um, it is, uh, after five years of being rector, I have also decided, rather than trying to take a chunk of paternity time, this summer I'm going to take a sabbatical. Uh, so I will be away from mid-June until mid-September. Uh, there'll be a lot more details of that forthcoming toward the, end of, um, toward the end of the spring. You'll know exactly who to ask for what. And part of having such a talented team is I'm confident that we won't miss a step uh, while I take a step back. The point of my sabbatical is really to spend time being a dad. Um, so I'm really grateful to the vestry for approving that sabbatical. And Ellis and I are really looking forward to a different pace of life for a little while. The fine... The final announcement is a final thank you. Um, it has become the tradition for me to award the Rector's Cross to leaders who are not often the most recognized leaders. They tend not to be vestry members or folks serving at the front, um, but folks that are making our ministries happen. Uh, this year I've chosen, last year was our 150th anniversary, and I chose two leaders who had been long, long time leaders. This year I want to recognize the leaders of one of our newer ministries. Um, and partly because I want to recognize this group of women for leading a ministry in a way that I hope more of our ministries go, in that this group of folks share leadership so that none, not one of them gets burned out, and so that the clergy and other leaders that show up can just show up. Um, they do incredible work. So I, this year's Rector's Cross is a three-way um, award to Julie Farrar, Mary Duba, and Lisa Hayner, the leaders of Laundry Love. Will you help me thank them? on to Mary Dubas for just one second to show you. These were finally fabricated. I haven't had them to give out the last two years, and now we do. Um, these were made by um, a nonprofit in El Salvador called Shikali that works with people with disabilities. And so they were fabricated um, in this nonprofit um, for us, and they're the Holy Communion logo. Um, so thank you all. My address being finished, we have no more business to come before the annual meeting. I need a motion to adjourn. So moved. I don't know who named that. I'm going to give it to Christy Moko, and I'll give a second to Scott Ferguson, because I heard his voice, too. Christy Moko got the motion. Scott Ferguson, the second. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Any abstaining? The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as you have blessed Holy Communion and blessed our neighborhood, our city, our nation, our world through Holy Communion, give us courage in these days. Help us to continue to proclaim your good news, not only with our lips, but in our lives. Amen. If members of the vestry could come up for a quick huddle before I have to go get ready to um, do the Eucharist.